Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Ava Gutierrez, a freelance writer who's helped other freelancers quit their jobs and reach their $10,000 per month writing goals. This all happens inside of the client acquisition system, and Ava has a special gift for our listeners. Grab her training on how to make your first $10,000 from freelance writing at freelancewriterframework.com. Learn how to make your first $10,000 as a freelance writer, all while making sure you're working with ideal clients on projects that you actually love. Go to thefreelancewriterframework.com to get access. All right. So in this episode, we're going to answer a question that we got from a listener, and it was related to the idea of how do you over-deliver for a client without going too far. Basically, like what's the sweet spot for under-promising, over-delivering, and and positioning yourself as that go-to freelance writer that people want to hire over and over again because you do such a great job. So we have a lot to cover on this, but I want to start it out by asking you a question as far as like your experience working with subcontractors, talking to fellow freelance writers. What is your read on kind of the the standard for our industry. Do you feel like the average person is doing this as far as over-delivering? No, but I feel like the average person is not doing the basics. And so when we talk about over-delivering, like I think it's less about providing like all kinds of extras or going above and beyond or doing more than you said you would and actually just doing the things that you said you would do. So like that means things like following up and communicating, meeting deadlines, or if you can't meet a deadline for some reason, being really proactive with the communication there. It means explaining your work. So when you send over a a draft, not just saying like, here it is, which I get a lot from Mm -hmm. some contractors, but saying like, hey, here it is. Here's some notes about this. That's one thing that I do is like every time I send over a draft, I create a bulleted list of notes. And often they're really small things, but I just try and like explain some of the choices that I've made and give them context. And that's not like, that's not like a a real difficult amount of work for me, but it makes the client feel like, okay, she's like on top of this, right? As opposed to just like sending over a link to a Google doc and being like, here it is. Right. So I think like, focusing on the basics first is really important. And some of those basics are things like having a good onboarding system that works every time. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be using your email. I think we have another um, episode on onboarding or on systems, but like, I just feel like work on the basics first because I think it's really easy to let stuff slip when you get overwhelmed with too many clients. I know it's happened to me at various points in my business. So like, I don't know. I'm sort of like really, really focused on the basics, not about like going like above and beyond because I think you can just sort of add a little bit to the basics or really nail those. And you're, if you really nail the basics, you're better than like, I don't know. 100. <laughs> 99%. <laughs> yeah. No, really, really. What do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like over the past eight years of doing this full time, I've I've seen a lot and I've learned a lot. And you're right, like doing the basics and doing what you said you were going to do is 
a great place to start because so many people just don't, which is frustrating because it's like, it's very much like contractors, you know, like right now we're trying to finish up a house that we bought and we have a ton of projects going on there, but like they're independent contractors too. And you call one and they're like, yeah, we'll be there. And then they don't show up or they're like, oh, at the last minute we can't make it. Let's reschedule for next week. Or you never hear from them again. It's it's like this stuff is endemic to this type of work, it seems like. So so doing the basics is critical. Yeah. But I, I, I think that there are some basic other things that you can do that are over-delivering but are not like overextending. And I, I feel like mm, that's a yeah. good place to be. So a big one for me is deadlines. Like I always pad my deadlines so I'm delivering ahead of time just because I think that that's a nice way to show up and kind of like a nice surprise for the client too, when they get it earlier than expected. It's, Mm -hmm. it's still plenty of time that it shows that like, Hey, I did a good job on this. I'm not super rushing through it to get this to you early, but it's again, like knowing your workflow, knowing how long it takes you to execute on things and then padding that a little bit so that you are able to do that. I feel like that's pretty, a a pretty easy one to do. Yeah. And I think like Padding deadlines and delivering early is one thing, but also just like being realistic with the deadlines that you set. So I think sometimes we underestimate how long it's going to take us to do something. And we're like, oh, I can have that to you by the end of the week. And a lot of it is just saying like, oh, I'm going to have it to you by the end of next week. And even if you are delivering at the end of next week, like actually like putting forth an accurate deadline is like 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 when you actually will be able to get it done and being honest about that up front I think is is like another way of approaching the deadline things and I only bring up that alternate perspective because like I would say I'm like very rarely early on a deadline but I try and be like very accurate with the with the prediction that I'm making right yeah and like sometimes especially with the work I do because it's it often requires interviews. And so it can be hard to like put a strict deadline in. So much of it for me is about communication. So it's less about like the the date, especially when a client has flexible, they're like, we need this. I don't know by the end of the year, it doesn't really matter. So much of it is about like communicating project status and saying like, hi, I know we talked about this last week. I want you to know I interviewed so-and-so. The interview went really well. The interview is currently out for transcription. And my expectation is I'm going to have an outline for you to review by X date, right? Like, so mm-hmm. and that's less about like just showing them the the finished product early, but just like keeping them in the loop. And that's like, again, that is a way of going above and beyond. Yeah. That proactive communication, I feel like is so, so helpful. Yeah. And I think most people don't do it. And then I think the other thing is like, sometimes I have people like put in like extra work. Like I've seen this happen. So like, for example, somebody will write a blog post and then they'll like include all of this social copy to go with the blog post. And I think that it can that can be like a good add-on if the client wants that and you've checked with them. But a lot of times I see people like doing these extra things and it's not something that's useful to the client. Like I remember that when I worked in-house and I was hiring freelancers, they'd sometimes like add on things like that. And I'm like, we're not going to use any of your social copy. Like that was like a waste of your time. And I'm like, I see that and I'm like, why are you spending your time focusing on that? Like it just doesn't, if it, if it doesn't feel relevant to the client, then it's not actually an extra, right? Like it sounds obvious, but I think like you really need to be in tune with what the client would need or what would help the client out rather than just like, oh, I'm writing a blog post and it needs to be shared on Twitter. So I'm going to like write a tweet for it, right? Yeah. I think the 
a secret to that is like just asking the question, you know, what yeah. would be help? What extras would be helpful for you? Do you need a meta description? Do you need social copy? Like yeah. tell me. And again, like that can just be part of the writing brief too. Once a client tells you once, make it part of the brief so that if you're working with them on an ongoing basis, you know, to include those. And it's not a conversation you have to have over and over again, because it's probably not going to change. Yeah, no, I completely agree that asking the question of like, what things can I add in to make your life easier? Do you need SEO meta tags? Do you need social copy? And if you feel that it's within the scope of work to provide that, which like providing SEO meta tags is not too much extra work to do that. And it can be really helpful for a client. There's a few other things that are like some interesting extras. One is offering to put it in their content management system. So like Mm. if you, like I don't do this, but I've seen people do it where it can be really helpful for the client to uh, put all of the blog content in WordPress for them. It can be helpful to source images. Like I always source images with my blog content. Not everybody does that. But again, like making sure that they're in line with what the client wants. Like don't just find a bunch of black and white photos somewhere when their <laughs> blog is custom illustrations, right? Like sounds obvious, but people do that. Another thing that I've seen that is like a really easy way to go above and beyond is to make sure that the formatting in the long form content you deliver is in line with what the current blog content mm-hmm. is. And I say this, like, it sounds obvious, but like when you are working in-house as a content manager and someone gives you blog content, it's like not really worth going back to the person saying like, hey, can you update every headline to be title case? Like it's easier to just do it yourself, especially if you're like trying to get something published quickly. But if someone knows that because they looked at all your other blog content and they know exactly like, you know, that they've just formatted it correctly, then you can literally copy and paste and it's so much reduced work. So like those are things that you can kind of pay attention to, right? And it's not necessarily asking for all that information. I mean, of course, it's it's good if the client has a style guide and they have all this information. But if you can be proactive about finding out um, and like snooping around their site for examples and other things, as opposed to like putting the onerous on them to to provide you with all of that. I think that's another way of going above and beyond. Yeah. And I have to say my favorite clients are the ones who have a really detailed brief or a really detailed style guide where all that is laid out. So like, we don't even have to have the conversation. It's a matter of, did you follow directions? Like I made this all, I put this all in one place for you. It's documented. If you didn't review it, then the editor is going to come back and say like, Hey, you didn't, you didn't follow directions. Like you have to go back and fix this now. So yeah. I feel like that's a really simple way to do that. And again, like you can make it part of your own writing brief or creative brief. You can ask those questions up front when you have that initial conversation with a client. I just think it's important. Those are really basic things to include. And like you said, for an in-house person that can eat up hours every single week, just making those little changes. It's annoying. It's frustrating. Those are easy things you can take off the table. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, again, it's still like following through on the basics. If someone gives you a style guide and they talk about how things are formatted and then you sort of ignore that because you make some assumption, like that is a a way of basically under-delivering or like, I I mean, I I think from the client perspective, like they're not necessarily looking for you to like over-deliver and give them all these extras and get like so much value for their money in the sense of like, I wonder how much I can work this person. Like, I don't think they think <laughs> right. about it like that. I think they think about it like, how easy is this person to work with? Do I get a result that is 
more than satisfactory? Like, do I get a great result? Like, do I get a blog content that I can basically just copy and paste and post with like a few minor edits? Or is this like a lot of work for me to get it where it needs to be? Or do I not know once I set a deadline, if that person is going to come through? Like, again, like I I feel like so much of over delivering is really just like delivering. (laughs) But, but like, I don't mean to like slam everyone for struggling to deliver because like, I think that it can be really difficult to show up and be your absolute best self with every single client. And that can happen because you accept a client and you don't really like the project or you accept a client and you shouldn't have for some reason or you accept a client and they're not really paying you enough or they are trying to creep the scope and so that makes you not as, you know, warm and fuzzy. So like there are reasons that it can be a struggle to deliver. Um, but I think again, like that is that that's like a good area to focus. And I I talked about this in the episode about taking maternity leave is that when I came back from my maternity leave, I had a different view of how I wanted to be with my clients in terms of overdelivering. Before I was like, yeah, I just need to deliver. And afterward I was like, I really want to overdeliver. That's when I started when I sent over a piece, I started being like really deliberate about including all of the bullets about, you know, my notes and my process. And mm-hmm. I redid my onboarding emails. Like I have templates set up so that now I have a template that I never had before, which was like, once someone signs their contract with me to get started, it's like, they get an email that's like, yay, we're ready to get started. Here's information about what it's like to work with me. And it lays out like my expectations from them and what they can expect from me. And like, I, that, those are like ways of sort of over delivering, right? Like you just want to make someone feel super taken care of. Right. Yeah. I think that that's so true. And that can even come down to like supplemental documentation that you provide. Like here's a feedback document with like, here's how I I want to get good feedback from you. Like, here's what that looks like. Here's some context around the type of feedback I can, you know, handle edits best with. I think, like you said, having those processes and documentation or even doing something as simple as like a loom video recording. Oh yeah. So underutilized, but where you're like talking through your workflow and your expectations and what you need and any questions you have. Number one, it's a huge time saver because you're not typing out a super long email, but it's, it's that personal touch. It's that one-to-one personalized, like, Hey, I made this video just for you. I'm walking through things. I'm proactively communicating again. Like that's a really easy way to, to take your service provision, I think up to the next level. Yeah. That's like particularly good when the work is more strategic, like it's web copy or email copy or things that sort of fit together as, as part of a puzzle. And you kind of walk somebody through that. I've seen people also add loom videos to their proposals. So they walk through the proposal on video and they, they explain themselves. That's particularly good if you're doing services for an individual, like a solopreneur who where like the, it's a really big investment for them. It's a really big deal to have you write their web copy or something like that. I think it's less necessary maybe for a piece of long form content, although not bad, just like I, I, you know, thinking through what your client wants and how they want things delivered and, and what information would be helpful for them is of course important to the overall delivering thing. The Loom videos was also making me think about now I can't remember, of course, but I, I think that again, like providing that information via video is helpful. Oh, I know what I was going to say that had to do with video is like, also don't shy away from having phone calls, meetings, 
et cetera. Like not everybody loves this. You don't have to do it. Same with like, you don't have to do a loom video, but like I always offer like, Hey, if you have questions about this, let's set up a time to have a chat about it. And even if they don't take me up on that, like making myself available, or sometimes if I have questions and, and they're like too complicated to ask or get answered via email, I say like, Hey, I have a lot of questions about this. Like, can we please get on the phone for 15 minutes? It will like, we can bang it out and get it done. Yeah. So I think like making yourself a little bit more available and and becoming sort of part of the team. Other things that I do for, especially for case studies is like, as part of the services, I have, a, I do a kickoff call where I ask like a ton of questions about the business and the goals and all that stuff. But I also require a product demo if it's a software product. Like I'm like, that is, it's not like I'm charging extra for me to partake in a product demo, but I'm like, if I'm going to be writing a case study about your software product, like I need to know what it does and what its value is and all of that stuff. Right. So like that's an included, you could call that over delivering, I guess, but it's more about thinking about like, well, what, how can you offer as much value as possible and get what you need to ultimately like provide a really, really great valuable asset to your client. Yeah. And my version of that, we talked about this in season one. I like hate being on phone calls, whereas you are really good at it and you seem to like it a lot more. I do that in a more asynchronous context. So like, Hey, let me record a loom video with all of my questions. Yeah. Record one and send it back to me whenever it's convenient for you. So you can do that a number of ways. So it's, you know, fits within your, your workflow and how you work best. I think it's just a matter of like, how can I do this and deliver like the best possible customer experience essentially is what it is. That's what it without, is. Yeah. Without like, again, you have to be a little bit careful and mindful of scope creep because then people might be like, oh, this is really great. I'm going to have you add on X, Y, and Z. And so you want to be mindful of that line really and that boundary around how many extras you throw in um, and how many things are factored into your rates as part of, you know, included with your costs. But the things that we've talked about here are just really easy kind of simple, not a lot of extra work things to to tie in. Yeah. And it, well, the customer experience thing makes me think a lot about it's not so much as like over-delivering and giving people all these extras. It's about making them feel like you are professional that has mm-hmm. their back. And so there's a lot of things that you can do along the way to make them feel feel like they're being taken care of. And there's things as simple as like making sure when they email you about a new project that they get like a really great comprehensive email back. Um, which could be a template, but making them feel like, oh my gosh, this person gets it. Or if you send proposals, making sure the proposal is really well designed. And even branding goes into that. Like we haven't talked about, like, it's not exactly over delivering for a client for you to have nice branding, but it does make a client feel like they're sort of part of something and they're getting a premier and almost luxury service if they feel like, okay, this is not like some piddly freelancer. They've made some investments in their business to look polished and professional, right? I wouldn't necessarily start with like, you know, over-deliver by having great branding, but it certainly is a is a consideration as you move forward. The only other thought I just had is, as you were talking there was one thing that I've noticed between like professional tier, like high rates, really successful freelancers versus people who are kind of on a lower tier, more junior, just getting started is that 
people with subject matter expertise who go to their clients and proactively pitch ideas, like somebody for me who's doing a lot of blog content or like reported trends, news type stories. If you can go and say like, here's what I'm seeing within the industry. I have a great network of sources I can pull from for this and kind of get original insights, which is going to help with organic distribution. Doing things like that, again, reinforces your authority and your subject matter expertise. It's a reason for them to hire you. Maybe if they don't have something, you know, brief wise ready to assign you. But if you can go to them and say, hey, I have a really good idea. Let's do this. That's a great way to keep yourself busy too. And and always, you know, with work on your plate. Well, that makes you invaluable. I know that I have wrote some case studies for Shanti, Shanti Zach. I don't know if you know her, but she does a lot of custom quizzes for um, like course creators. And when I talked to her clients and they, they, you know, told me how wonderful she is, which she is, one of the things they said was like how she often was coming to them with ideas and that, you know, she sort of works on retainer with these people, but she would come to them and say, oh my gosh, I know you love watching X TV show. And they just had an episode that covered X, Y, and Z. I think we should send out an email about that for this week's newsletter. And they were like, oh my gosh, great. Like, you know us so well, go for it. Right. And so then she's keeping herself busy, but it's not just about keeping herself busy and keeping the work coming. She's providing so much value to them because they're suddenly like, oh, maybe we should just offload our our newsletter to Shanti. Like, why would we <laughs> why would we sit here and come up with topics when we have someone that we can just pay a little bit more to do it for us, right? And and I mean, I don't know in, in detail about how how she structures that relationship. And you don't want to again be sort of doing the work for free, but you can figure out how to make yourself valuable. And a lot of that is like being a little bit more strategic with the suggestions that you're making, like not being an order taker, right? Not just saying like, oh, you assigned me this, I will do it. And saying like, oh, (laughs) have you thought about doing this? You know, what's coming up? What are some of your objectives for this year? And how can we create content or copy that's going to help you meet them? What campaigns are coming up? Like, do you need ideas for a campaign, right? Like all of that stuff, it makes you more like a partner rather than just an order taker. Yep. I think you really summed that up nicely. I, I don't really have anything else to add. I just think Man, if I was starting my freelance writing career right now, I would be taking so many notes on this because this is stuff I think you and I learned through trial and error. Yes, I did. wish I would have known this early on because it's it's made such a difference and I'm sure it has for you too. Yeah, it's made a huge difference. And I think what you said earlier about subject matter experts and having uh, an area of expertise is like is is like an important part of providing a good customer experience. I I know you touched on that when you were talking about like pitching ideas, but it's not just about like the pitching of ideas. It's also like, again, giving that customer or client the feeling that they're being really taken care of because you know your stuff. So when you kind of narrow in on some area of expertise, they really feel that you know them, right? So, yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Freelance Writing Coach Podcast. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com.